So thank you everyone for coming. We'll continue this evening with Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha. We're in Anacheta 78. We're in the section of the Bhagavat Sandarbha where the various energies of the Supreme, Supreme his internal spiritual energy, Surup Shakti, is equated with manifestations that accompany him when he comes to the material world and also that he that's accompanying well they accompany him everywhere his associates his holy dom wherever he is it's his holy dom so it comes with him wherever he is so we were discussing in the last class uh, the fact that no matter how you look at the spiritual realm whether in the context of the internal potency of the Lord as being separated from the external potency. In other words, the Vaikuntha realm being completely separate from the material manifestation. Or you look at the spiritual realm as part of a material manifestation, a universe. Of course, it's not fully the material universe, but there are aspects of a material universe that have these Vaikuntha characteristics. Those, that portion of the material universe is that portion that's inhabited by those that are completely absorbed in transcendence. So the material universe is separated by living entities that are basically pursuing two different paths. Uh, one is the path of material enjoyment. Of course, from the spiritual point of view, we don't look at it as enjoyment. We look at it as entanglement because for every plus that may be there in satisfying the material senses, there's the other side of it. So we look at material existence, at least the, the spiritualist looks at the material existence more of a as more of an entanglement than an enjoyment. So within the material realm there are two classes of people, the transcendentalists and the materialists. The materialists are trying to enjoy the world and the transcendentalists are are trying to uh, attain liberation. So when you look at the characteristics of the Vaikuntha realm, which in this section of the Bhagavat Sandarbha is being referred to as Tripad Vibhuti, has three distinct characteristics as opposed to the ekapod vibhuti, the one characteristic of material life, which is death. Right. Death. Mortality. It ain't going to last forever, no matter what it is. That includes your body. Primarily. So, the world of death 
And the Ekapod Vibhuti has no death. Tripod Vibhuti, no no death. Um, it's all auspicious. And what's its other characteristic? No fear. No fear. Because there is no death, there is no fear. Very good. So without death, no fear. And, well, everything's good in life that has no death and no fear. So all auspiciousness. So both the path of consumption, which implies both suffering and enjoyment of the fruits of karma, and that of non-consumption, or in other words, the path of transcendence of karma. Um, which two specifically? These are the two paths within material life. Everybody can choose. You have freedom to choose which path you want. Material nature doesn't force you to say you have to choose one path over the other. That's, that's your free will. For those that are on the path of consumption, in other words, they're trying to consume the world, eat it, eat it alive for their own physical maintenance, for one thing, and everything in the world, they want their senses to exploit. So it's basically a fully a taking environment. So we're consumers. On the materialistic path, we're, we're consuming. Um, and the non-consumers, they don't want to consume because, well, for everything you consume, you have to pay. Right? So it doesn't matter whether you're eating another person, you got to pay. In fact, according to the Indian culture... You perform a sacrifice, and only when you perform a sacrifice can you take another living entity's life and eat it. So, one of the mantras that you ch chant during a sacrifice of like a, uh, one of the eight goats, they, you chant into the ear of the animal, I'll eat you now, but you can eat me later. Something to that effect. In other words, I recognize the fact that I'm going to have to pay for this. So it's, you know, you might say, well, it's just a mantra, but it has meaning to it. You, at least, at least, even in sacrifice, they have enough knowledge to, to acknowledge that there's a price to pay. And then, as far as the other consumptions that we have in the world, well, we pay. For everything, it's a it's a pay pay as you go system basically. Now sometimes you pay later, and sometimes you pay you know. Sometimes you've already paid for it, so we call that prepayment and and postpayment program karma, right? You have karma cards. Yes. So, <laughs> if you pay in advance, you perform sacrifices, 
you can go to the heavenly planets. And after you've enjoyed there, then you can return here. And if you, if your enjoyment here is outside of the realm of what's allocated naturally within the laws of nature, then we call that sinful activity. So if you're exploiting the material energy over and above decent conduct, well, you could say, well, what's decent conduct? Every society has a different level of decent con decency. Well, we, we understand that. And in Kali Yuga, it is a little difficult for us to wrap our mind around the fact that there should be a societal setup that has decency based on good direction. We see that from the scripture, at least from the scriptures, the old scriptures of India, uh, uh, through what they referred to as Varnashram Dharma. Every man worked in man and woman worked in society according to their natural inclinations. Some are inclined to serve, some are inclined to, to till the fields and plant the plants, some are inclined to, to be in business, some are inclined to administer society, and some are doctors, so, and some are spiritually inclined. So this system of different varnas based upon our proclivities, uh, our natural inclinations to work in a particular way, and uh, ashrams, dedicating ourselves either throughout our entire life or during a particular portion of our life to a specific lifestyle. So this whole Varnashram culture has has become for the most part either entirely corrupted by society, especially the society where it should flourish, uh, India, or it's been completely dissipated. It, it just, it's not there anymore. Or if it is anywhere in the world, it's in such a perverted form that no one wants to have any, no man of culture would want to have anything to do with it, like slavery. Instead of recognizes they're a class of men that actually, they feel most comfortable serving other men. But the rich man will simply say, well, yeah, it's like the half-hen philosophy. We just want the back, end of the back end of the hen that gives us the fruit, you know, the egg, and the front hen will chop its head off or we won't feed it properly and we'll beat it until it gives us the eggs we want. But in Varnashram, it's, there's a regular recognition. There are people that want to serve. Let us give them, let us engage them according to their propensity. 
So we don't see this in our modern societies right now. That's why this age of man is called Kali Yuga. It's the most fallen age of man. Uh, and But there are other ages of men which aren't this aren't this bad. And in those other ages of men, Varnashram is properly instituted and there are there is a class of men who are spiritually qualified through study of Shastra and personal conduct to lead human society uh, properly, which brings us back to what we're discussing. Karma. Karma can be administered properly. It can be administered in human society in such a way that you don't have to, you can take advantage and you can take whatever you want from material nature. Uh, there's a couple things that we, you know, that the those spiritual people say, no, that's really a no-no, you know, like you... You know, you shouldn't take the body of a cow and eat it. That's like, that's a little over the edge. But if you want to eat meat, there are certain animals that we can perform sacrifices and we can feed you. But not every day, on a particular day, under a particular regimen, and you know. Uh, and same thing. So anything can be done, anything you want can be done, if it's done under proper supervision and regulation even you want to even if you want to drink you can you can drink but you you need to drink in a regulated way and they perform sac whatever it's a sacrament um, otherwise your actions in the world of man that are Actions of consumption can lead to such degradation that, well, even even a, even a soul who's made made it all the way to the human life can lose their position. You could become a human being, and you could become such a debauch in your in your human body that it can be taken away from you by material nature it's uh, not unheard of and it's very unfortunate because it's kind of a it it's not kind of it is is it is a rare thing to come to the platform of human life where you have so much freedom of will that's really our advantage in, in having a human body. We have higher intelligence and our freedom of will is, is expanded immensely. I mean, we, we keep cows here and, you know, they're, what they can do is limited. You know, they have to stay in the confines of, the, of, of where we keep them and they have to eat what we put in front of them. They don't get to choose. I want the grains today. <laughs> of course, if they could, they would want the grains today. And uh, 
you know, they stay in their confinement, but sometimes they break free. But they break free, and what do they have? Well, they may think the grass is greener on the other side, and it may be because no one over there you know, has cows. <laughs> but they're captured and returned. So, um, Human society is, on the consuming end of things, human society is meant and should work under spiritual directive. The people, and the scriptures, and we should do things. You can enjoy just as much as not doing it that way, but it's in a regulated manner. Yes? I just had an example of like a person that goes to a doctor and gets a prescription for some kind of pain meds. So under a doctor's prescription, you take it according to that, then you'll be okay. But if you you don't, you go your own way, and that's known as abuse, and then it usually ends up messy. But isn't karma just a natural cause and effect? Mm, what do you mean? What would be unnatural about what we've spoken? Natural cause and effect. You you do an action, mm -hmm. and therefore there will be a, just a natural reaction. Okay. And that you know it's just a. But there are caramel karma conda sections of the scriptures where that natural effect can be done under good direction. If I take a medication under the doctor's direction, there's the good possibility that my pains will be abated and in due course he's going to say, okay, your body can handle it now. No more of those. Or I can take the same medication, go to the guy on the street and say, give me a bottle of whatever, uppers, downers, inners, outers, whatever you take, and just prescribe them for myself. I don't feel good today. I don't feel good tomorrow. And all of a sudden, I'm now my own doctor. It's the same karma, what you would call natural effect. The action within the world has a reaction. That's what we call karma. The doctor gives me the pill, and he tells me when I can take it, and how long I should take it, and when I no longer need it. I can do the same karma of taking pills. It's the same thing. But I can do it on my own. And there's a chance I'll end up in rehab. So, yes, there's natural things. But as coming to human life, I have my free will to choose whether to do things in the appropriate manner, under scriptural injunction, under the good guidance of somebody that really cares about me, all, all cent percent, meaning a spiritual guide. We call that a guru, or whatever the tradition. We're not tied into that note. We like that nomenclature, but you see what I'm saying? Well, so there's a natural person, reaction. Yes, you're right. Karma this is natural. Already getting his um, his his nat his karma. Because he's just clouding up 
the, his conscious contact with God. Okay, that's a fact. The world of karma is for the people that are not interested in in transcendence. For the most part, people that are involved in karma have no desire. And that's what's being spoken of here in this section of Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sundarbi. He's talking about two classes of men. One class is the consumer, we call that the materialist, and the other class is the transcendentalist. So the consumer has natural karma. Now he can he can perform that karma uh, haphazardly or without direction, or he can perform it under good direction. Under good direction, there's the hope that at some time along the way, because he's going to sacrifices, he's going to the, he's going to church, say. He's going, and he's he's getting good direction. He's going into uh, what do you call it, the confessional, and I, you know, I did this. Well, you don't want to do that, okay? Let's let's. Why don't you think about that for a while? Perform so many hail marys and whatever, you know. But it's the same thing in Krishna consciousness. Chant so many rounds, you know. Uh, think about what you're doing before you do it. Do only those things that you have to 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 satisfy your mind and body, and do course. We want everything that you do to be fully directed toward transcendence. But we have a material body. We can't deny that. So we have needs and wants and emotional things we have to deal with. And gradually, the expert spiritual master will, will, will guide the student in such a way that there's firm spiritual progress from materialism to spiritualism. Now, when we broaden that, we broaden the horizon of that to the entire of human society. We call that Varnashram Dharma system, where there's there's spiritual heads at the top of all society, and everyone's moving gradually according to their nature towards transcendence. Does that makes sense. Have the rules always been the same? The same rules change according to society, the culture, and the time of man. No, they haven't been the same. In the in the in the Satya Yuga, everyone is so spiritually advanced that they just all meditate. They don't need to perform you know, that's all they they're just they're completely tent content with entering into samadhi and, and dwelling consciously and intently on the Supreme throughout their life. Then we have Treta Yuga. Treta Yuga is characterized by sacrifice or deity worship. Sacrifices. Sacrifices. So during that age, those spiritual leaders, those those priests, they have you come and give your wealth and give them a donation and they perform a sacrifice on your behalf. And then we have Dwarpa Yuga, which is another age of man. We're talking about the four ages of man. And in this Dwarpa Yuga, uh, worship of the deity is the way of spiritual advancement. So we have big, we big, you see in India now, thousands upon thousands of beautiful temples and everybody goes to temple every day. 
We see it all over. You see it in every town and village of the, of the world, actually. There's temples on every street. And you go to everybody, depending on the, your level of religiosity, you go to temple every day. Whatever your temple, whatever your faith may be, you go. So we would call that, that's the last age, Trady Yuga, and uh, carried over to this age too, you know, some bit. It's just like the modes of material nature, not everything is. You'll find meditators in the Kali Yuga too, in this age. So there's deity worship, but so there's predominant spiritual practices during different ages of men. And there's predominant spiritual practices according to different cultures of men. So some some are inclined in one direction, some are inclined in another. Native Americans they they find their their spiritual fulfillment in the in the the world around them. And they see spirits and you know they take guidance from elders in their in their tribes, you know, in a, in a particular way. And we would, you know, that's certainly, in the, you know, we don't belittle any man's faith. Mm-hmm. That faith serves them well. But in due course, we can see that there are there are different levels of religious the depth of religious understanding. So, two paths, material entanglement and liberation. For living beings on the path of consumption, nescience, avidya, or maya is the shelter. Ignorance and maya. Huh? Ignorance. Ignorance is bliss, yes. And for living beings on the path of non-consumption, in other words, they're not trying to take from the world, uh, wisdom, vidya, or the Lord's own internal conscious chit potency is the shelter. So we have paths. It's simple just to hear it like this, but we have paths. We have gyan, path of knowledge and then there's the path of, of of the Lord's taking shelter of the Lord's internal potency of the two he says take shelter of me it's the easier of the two paths the path of knowledge where about whereby you learn that the world of taking is not giving back <laughs> enough in return you know it's not an equal it's not an equitable exchange rate you know the import now we're coming to the end of the Anucheta the import of whether from the point of view of his complete opulence both infinite and finite potencies inclusive or from that of his limited opulence, finance, finite potency only, in the form of material nature and the cosmos, the Lord encompasses four dimensions of being. Namely, mortality, immortality, fearlessness, and all auspiciousness. So whether you're looking at the whole 
the whole, which encompasses both the Lord's spiritual dimension, exclusive of the material manifestation. Okay. In other words, you recognize that the Lord has a spiritual realm that's entirely independent of his material realm. Whether you whether you whether you think of the Lord in that way, and you see the tripod vibhuti, the immortality, and and the fearlessness and the all auspiciousness as only in that transcendental realm that's independent of material nature, or you see that. Even within material nature, there's a class of men who strive for transcendence and are not takers, and they, in not taking, rise themselves up to the highest planetary systems, and they become themselves immortal, fearless, and all auspicious to the extent that when a material universe is wrapped up, they don't come back. They've learned to not be consumers. So whichever way you look at it, you can see. So people look at scriptures and they come up with different conclusions and they read different, you know, they, they, they form entire sampradayas based on their spiritual viewpoint of what's in the scripture. I mean, all these different sampradayas that are Vaishnav Sampradayas are reading the same Vedas and they're writing a conclusion on the Vedanta Sutra of the same Vedas on the same but they're coming to a different conclusion Beta, Abeda, you know Advaitan so that's what's some of what's being referred to here Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, according to eternal verdict, one may leave the world either through the path of light or the path of darkness. So when you when you hang it up, or it's hung up for you, which is generally the case for us, some people are so spiritually advanced they get to decide when to hang it up. The rest of us, well, maybe not so much. Bhishma was one of those ones that could hang it up when he wanted to. He was, a, he was a mystic. One of the paths does not lead to return, whereas the other brings one back again. So Krishna's even speaking of this in Bhagavad Gita. Now to look at this verse in Bhagavad Gita and see through it to this, all this that we've been discussing, now that, that gives you some depth which is what Jiva Goswami's and the study of Sundarbas is meant for. To say, oh, we're talking about the Vibhutis and the Tripad and the Ekapad and you know, and that could be seen from the spiritual world and material world as it being the same or different and you know now go and give a class on that and see how people receive it. It would be a little exciting, yes. 
The conclusion of the above discussion is that to reach even the highest, higher material planets beyond heaven, one must observe Brihad Vrata, the formidable vow of celibacy. One must be completely transcendental to the material gunas. That sounds daunting. But this is a special time. Once in the day of Brahma. Now we start to see what's involved here when we come to Namo Mahabharanaya Krishna Prabhupadayate Krishnaya Krishna Sheta. This disposition of Sri Shaitanya to freely distribute unalloyed devotion in human society irrespective of qualification. Kibra Nase Kibra Vipra Kiva Bipra Kiva Nase Whatever your class, whatever your level of material life, if you know the science of God, you're you're competent to enter into the world of to share the world of Krishna Katha. And in this age of man that's all that's required. At this age, at this time, under the graceful dispensation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Otherwise, you got to go the other path. You got to leave in the path of light. It's not that the devotees don't lead in the path of light; they do leave in the path of light. But it's a light of complete and total adarya. Yes, gracious dispensation. Now we come to the 79th Anucheda. The threefold spiritual manifestation is part of the internal potency. The threefold spiritual manifestation, threefold being what? Immortal, fearless, and all auspicious, is part of the internal potency. We have now a discussion, and a basically what we have, what we're coming up to, is a discussion a very, very in-depth discussion of fourteen verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam by Jiva Goswami to prove this point. So it's a very long Anucheda. And he gives an in-depth commentary on fourteen the 14 verses that explained the Kumars cursing of Jaya and Vijaya. So this is this is thick and very sweet as you as you cook the sugar down it becomes more and more sweet so 
you're going to hear things here in Jiva Goswami's commentary on these verses and conclusions are going to come up in the way he's going to present what's in these verses that you have not heard before. So Jiva goes on. In this way, because the transcendental opulence of the Tripadvibhuti is manifested by virtue of the internal potency, Swarup Shakti of the Lord, it is also part of his essential nature. In other words, the spiritual realm is part of God. And, I mean, you can't separate it from him. And you can't separate him from his devotees. So his his dom and his devotees are him. His he doesn't see any difference. He they're part of his swarup shakti, and that's what comes out here. Is there's no difference to Krishna. He didn't see any difference, so all that's going to come out. He didn't see any difference between what Jaya and Vijaya did and what he did. As it is also part of his essential nature. Because this opulence belongs to the essential nature of the complete absolute, inherently self-endowed with all potency, it appears distinct from him, though part of his swarup. It appears that where he's staying is not him. It appears that way, but it's only an appearance. He is where he is. He, wherever he is, is also himself. Because he's God. So wh- whoever he's with is also part of him. Although they appear to be different, the closeness between Krishna and his devotees is so intimate that you could say they're the same person. That's what we call transcendental love. You can't separate one from the other. You can't separate Krishna from his associates, his cowherd boys and him. There's no difference. His girlfriends, there's no difference. They're that much his parents. He, he, there's just there's no, no, nothing to separate them. Where he stays, the chair he sits on, there's, it's, it's all part of his nature. In these matters, enlightened teachers who have perfected themselves in the culture of Brahman will serve as our evidence. Who's going to prove my point here, Jiva's saying? I'll tell you who's going to prove my point. The Brahmavadis. These four little boys. They're going to prove my point for me. They're going to prove that when we talk about Advaita Vad, we're talking about this closeness that Krishna has with everything that's him. It is all one. Varanti tat tat vavidas tat vam yaj janam advayam. You may look at it differently. You may give it a different name, but it is all one indistinguishable Brahman. 
You can see it in this way or that, but the fact is, you can't separate Krishna from his devotees. You can't separate Krishna from his environment. You can't separate him from anything. He is everything. So I'm going to teach that to you, Jiva's saying, by using this example of these Brahmavadis, the oldest men in the universe except their father, although their bodies never exceeded that of five years old, they were the oldest. They were the first. First the Kumars came. So I'm going to use these enlightened because there's nobody smarter than them. The Kumars, I mean, they're they're complete. They're the epitome of celibacy. So if we're going to use celibacy as the measuring rod of, of uh, you know, the measuring rod of transcendence, no one touches them. As shown in the following 14 verses spoken by Sri Brahma. So what's the context of Brahma speaking these verses? Does anybody remember? The universe was kind of, was out of whack. A mother had twins in her abdomen. And these twins were so powerful that the whole universe was being affected. These kids weren't even born yet. But they were creating havoc, and the demigods were like, something's coming, and we can feel it. So Diti had these two great souls in her womb. Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakasipu. And they were so powerful in the womb that the demigods were starting to fear for their lives. These were great demons. So the demigods, they go to Brahma and say, something's coming, there's bad signs, there's bad omens everywhere. We could feel it in the atmosphere. Something's Something's not right in the universe. Can you tell us what's not right and what we can do about it? He says, let me tell you a story. So to placate their fear, he tells them this story about the four Kumars going to Vaikuntha to see Lord Vishnu and being held up at the seventh gate. You can't come in here. <laughs> They'd already passed sixth gate. When they got to the seventh gate, the gate of devotion, they didn't have any any currency at that at that gate. And they were they were held up. So we're gonna enter into these verses and uh and Jeeva's gonna bring out a lot of meaning as far as the central theme of these Sandarbhas, you know, the Tattva, the Bhagavad, the Paramatma Sandarbha, 
Vedanti tat tat va vidas tat va vinyas janam advayam. One non-dual absolute. So are there any questions? Yes. So um, when people are doing like the sacrifices of animals, it's just like, I was trying to figure out like the whole point in it, but it's just kind of like an approved way of enjoying like it's a proved way for those people that have to eat meat. Yeah, yeah. It's also the approved method. But I think, uh, I don't know enough about the culture to know. The, the Kshatriyas also are allowed to eat meat without sacrifice. Mm-hmm. For the When they're learning how to kill on, in the forest as opposed to the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hello. It's not a big thing to the Gaudias. We're not. For most people, it, it sex life separates those that are on the transcendent path and those that are on the material path. From the majority of human society, that's the distinguishing characteristic. For the Vaishnavas, under the you know the watchful eye of Sri Chaitanya and his associates, there's no such distinction. Householder or sannyasi, all are equally qualified to advance to the highest platform of devotional life. But otherwise, the standard traditional paths don't have such a such an outlook if you go to india and go to some of the the other that's forget it if you're not a sannyasi if you're not born in a brahmin family and not a sannyasi you're not going to get liberated and that's they'll tell you that right up front and they told our spiritual master you're not you can't do anything for these western maleches and yavanas Lord Chaitanya Prabhupada said, well, Lord Chaitanya said I could, so I'll just go with what he says. Yes. But is that the reality, or that's just how they present it? That's the way they present it. Because if you take the reading of the Bhagavatam, the way the Goswamis give it and teach it under the direction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then you come to a different conclusion, don't you? The Bhagavatam is speaking of stuff. If you take the Bhagavad Gita and look at the verses according to the Gaudiya way of thinking, then Krishna is saying, he's always said that just, you know, manmana bhavamad bhakto, just love me. That's all that's required. And like David Hood, he said, in the Gita, he says, I am sexually according to religious principles. Yeah. But generally, generally speaking, though, we can't deny the fact that generally you know, sex life is the last snare of Maya. It's something that can keep us from, you know, it's something that can keep us. It doesn't have to keep us. And we certainly we certainly have made arrangements, you know, with, with the dispensation of the current acharyas of Shaitanya Mahaprabhu to, to give all facility to everyone. Thank you so much.